Door 23. Local Haunts, Part 4. And that was the news and weather, and you're listening to Into the Night, with me, Mike Nelson. Yes, folks, I'm back. Well, what a week it has been. Of course, we've been off air since Thursday, thanks to damage from Storm Babette. But Radio Redvale is back, better than ever. However, before that, yours truly had to have a little break. And if you heard last Monday's show, you'll know why. Once again, I am truly sorry for my most unprofessional outburst, and I do appreciate all the letters and calls of support. However, the powers that be here in Radioland were not so forgiving. Old Mickey here ended up on the broadcasting naughty step. But I have served my sentence now and hopefully learned my lesson. Can you teach an old dog or indeed an old DJ new tricks? Well, we'll find out, won't we? So then, normal service, well, what bounces for normal round here at any rate, will be resumed tonight. And we have tons to catch up on. Right then, let's open the now very bulging ghost bag. Okay gang, a village in Kent, Pluckley, claims to be the most haunted village in this green and pleasant land, boasting of 12 ghosts haunting there. But I reckon we can pinch the title of most haunted village, and with your invaluable help, we've been collecting tales of all the spooks and spectres that allegedly haunt the highways and byways of the local area. And we have already established nine local hauntings. And I reckon we're going to add a couple more tonight. And just a little tease for you all, if we get to a dozen, I promise we'll do something very special for Halloween night. So then, what do we have first, Producer Raquel? Oh yes, we've got some follow-ups to do. And I reckon the first one is going to get us to ten. Let's see if you out there agree. Okay then. Last time, we had a very scary report from a lady we called Angie, who recounted staying in a house where every night, yes, every single night, a skeletal figure would creep out of an old wardrobe and, well, basically terrify the life out of her. Terrify the life out of me, I can tell you. Thankfully, she and her family were only staying there temporarily. However, it seems quite a few of you have some things to add. First up, a Mr. Thomas Rolt wrote in with this to say, Dear Michael, I cannot claim to have seen the figure Angie talked about, but her letter reminded me of stories my grandmother used to tell us. Now I am getting on myself, so we are going back to the 1950s here. But my old gran used to keep us in line with tales of something she called the old bony grinner, a local bogeyman who prowled around after dark which she only described as being a tall shape of bones and rags. And she even had a little rhyme too. Watch out after dark for the bony grinner. If he catches you, you'll be his dinner. And she claimed to have been told the stories by her old grandmother, who maintained that this horror used to stalk a piece of woodland called Ringstone Copse. Now, they cut it down during the war, 
but my old gran claimed that this had just forced the spectre to come into the village in search of victims instead. Well, thank you for that, Thomas. It certainly sounds similar, doesn't it? And it seems Angie's story rang bells for other folks too. A lady called Lucy Hodgson also wrote in and said, Hi Mike, I don't know if this is at all connected, but when I was a kid in the 1970s, we were told a certain type of white mushrooms that grow in the woods around here were very poisonous, and we were not to touch them. Not that we would have, because they looked horrible, pale and slimy. But we were told they were called skull stools, and some kids claimed they grew up where ghosts walked, probably because they tended to come up in little clumps in short lines, sort of like footsteps. Now, that is interesting, isn't it, folks? And I certainly think there is a connection. Indeed, I paid a little visit to the library, and the brilliant Mr Dalby of the local study centre directed me to an old book, which also mentioned these local fungi, and also linked them to this bony grinner bogeyman. However, we also have two other reports from two entirely separate people, who both claim to have seen the same thing as Angie. First, we have a letter from a chap we will call Ernest. He doesn't want to give his real name, and that's fine, folks. Anyhow, Ernie writes, Hi, Mike. I think I had an encounter with the same thing as that lady Angie. When me mum was in the hospital with my little sister back in 92, I had to stay for a bit with my auntie, as dad was back and forth visiting mum. Anyhow, auntie put me up a camp bed in the spare room, which was full of old bits and pieces. One of the things in there was a big old wooden trunk, which I thought looked like a pirate's chest. It was dead cool-like, with a carved pattern on the lid and a little brass plate with the maker's name on it. I remember it so clearly. Ringwood Brothers, 1940. But the first night I slept there, a loud creak woke me up. I looked and I swear I saw that the chest lid had swung open and something was climbing out. It was horrible, a big, tall, bony man, dressed in something like a monk's habit, but all torn and stained, and he had a skull for a head. It clambered out of the chest and started crawling around the room. I just jumped out of bed and ran for it. My auntie reckoned it was just a nightmare, but the next morning the chest lid was still open, and auntie was very cross to find the old curtains and bedding she stored in there had gone all mouldy all of a sudden. Auntie got dad to take the chest away to the tip. I did sleep in that room again, but nothing else happened. Blimey! Well, thank you for that, Ernie. Very intriguing. First a wardrobe, but now a chest. Is there a connection there, I wonder? However, we have another report too. A Mr. Bernie Capes also got in touch, and he had this to tell us. Dear Mr. Nelson, I must confess I was highly disturbed to hear Angie's story on your show last night, because I believe I have seen the same thing. It was only a few years ago, in early October, around sunset. I was out walking my terrier, doing a circuit of the village. We were passing the fields just at the east side, near Ringstone Hill and we stopped for a while by a little pond. Well, I should say I stopped, and my dog haired off, sniffing out rabbits in the long grass. I took the opportunity to light up my pipe, as it can be quite a while when chasing about in that meadow. 
I was just enjoying a smoke and gazing at the reflection in the little pond when I noticed two red lights behind me. But before I could come to any conclusion as to what they were, they seemed to rush up behind me all of a sudden, and in the reflection I saw at my back a tall, thin figure looming up. It was just all bones and grey rags, but with blazing eyes that radiated pure malevolence. At that point my terrier burst out the grass howling loudly, very unlike him, and tore off down the path. Needless to say, I followed him at great speed. And I, for one, do not blame you, sir. Bernie goes on. I cannot explain what I saw, and I have never seen anything like that before. And while I admit we didn't take that route on our walks for a bit, we have been back many times now. But I have never experienced anything like it again, I am glad to report. So are we, sir. But I think it's quite conclusive. What it seems they call the bony grinner is indeed very much still out and about, and I think that makes him our number 10. However, before we go, I reckon we can maybe notch up another. I'm sure most of you will be familiar with the Sheridan Inn out on Fring Lane. The current premises were built in the 1930s, but it stands on the site of an old coaching inn. Now, old Mikey has been doing his homework, after all, I can't leave all the work to you good people out there. And I discovered that for many years, back in Victorian times at least, in the last months of the year, from Halloween to Christmas basically, there were sightings of a phantom coach. Apparently on dark nights, when it's foggy and frosty, a black coach pulled up by four pale horses, clatters down Fring Lane and turns into the driveway of the Sheridan Inn. Now, I've not mentioned this on air before, because it seems there hadn't been any sightings in modern times. And I thought, as you would, that this was just an old tall tale. However, I was gobsmacked when I had a good number of letters from you lot claiming to have encountered this spectral coach and four. We had what? Was it, was it six letters, Raquel? Yes, six letters from you lot, with folks reporting hearing the sound of a coach and horses in the vicinity of the old inn and Fring Lane. Now, I did wonder, perhaps the haunting was just fading away, and there were only phantom sounds left. But then, this very morning, we got a letter from Trevor Swain, and he writes, Dear Mike, I'd like to share with you something rather eerie that happened to me two years ago. I admit I was having a pint at the time, but I swear I had had just the one, and I was nearly as sober as a judge. I work as a delivery driver for the brewery, and I'd just done my last drop-off of the day, and this was delivering fresh barrels of ale to the Sheridan. It was late December, and a Friday afternoon, and, as it was my last stop before clocking off, Tony the landlord offered me a pint and a mince pie on the house. I accepted and settled down in the snug near the front bay windows, and as I was munching away, I heard the unmistakable sound of horses' hooves coming up the gravel driveway. I turned round, and in the last light of day, I clearly saw a black old-fashioned coach, drawn by four white horses, swing round past the front of the pub, and head out back onto Fring Lane. However, before they reached the big stone gateposts, the whole shebang just melted away into thin air. Obviously I was very shocked, and Tony must have noticed because he came over with a tot of whiskey, 
and said, Ah, so you've seen them then? Apparently, it happens every couple of years, usually just before Christmas. And there you have it, a phantom coach and horses in the festive season. No one knows who they are or why they appear. But I do know one thing. That gets us to 11, folks. Well, that story has put me in a somewhat festive mood, so let's have something a bit wintry and with a bit of jingle to it. So then, sit back and relax with a little track called Silent Snow from our friends at the Eldritch Light Orchestra. (laughs) 